I'm not on um, social media much right now. I'm taking a little break from it. But I remember um, a little while ago, I had one of those really good days. It happened to be a Sunday. I happened to be here for a lot of it. But it was a really, really good day. And I remember walking home just feeling really satisfied um, and content. And then I did what I often do when I got home, uh, which was I just went on Twitter. And I'm just flicking through, just reading the tweets from various people. And I see this one tweet from someone who's kind of a similar age to me. He does kind of the same sort of thing I do. Um, And uh, he was in another part of the world and he was speaking and he had all these photos of him speaking to thousands of people. And he looked like he was having a great time and doing a great job. And I remember um, just the contentment that I was feeling as I lay there uh, on the sofa suddenly disappeared. And I thought, oh man, this guy's really kind of going for it and he's really seeing God do stuff and blah, blah, blah. And what have I ever done with my life? And I went on this kind of like spiral of like, my life sucks. And uh, I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was doing was stupid. But what really killed me as I reflected on it the following sort of few days is I couldn't stop myself and I didn't know how to get out of it. And what I did in that moment, as I, as I kind of like reflected back, is of course what I was doing, and this is, what, this is the subject I want to speak about this morning, is um, comparing myself to somebody else. Comparison. And it's been said that comparison is the thief of joy. It, it steals uh, the joy that we have in our lives. And maybe you've experienced it in a different context. You know, I don't know how, if you've ever felt quite pleased with your house until you go around to visit somebody else. Or you felt like quite excited that you've got, um, you know, a nearly new car until you until your colleague pulls up with their brand new car. Or you know, you're quite pleased that your child is doing X until you hear about someone else's child doing Y, and 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 instantly that sort of like the joy that you felt in whatever it was suddenly disappears when you compare it to what somebody else has. Comparison is a thief of joy, and um, the the consequences of it. Can be, can be quite severe. And so it might seem like a little random subject, but I, I actually want to reflect on it together and see what God might say to us from his word on it. So with comparison, uh, they say that there are two types I've discovered of comparison. There's what they call upward comparison, which is where we compare ourselves to people who are um, further ahead of us than, than we are necessarily. So they've got more money than we have. Uh, maybe they're in better shape than we're in. Uh, maybe their career is going better than our career. And sometimes when we do upward comparison like that, sometimes we end up feeling inspired. Oh, I could be like you if I really try. But usually what happens is what happened to me when I was lying on the sofa looking at Twitter, which is you just end up feeling rubbish and you end up feeling inadequate and useless. The second type of comparison is what they call downward comparison, which is when we compare ourselves to someone who's maybe really not very good at uh, something or worse than we are. And so I'm um, not very good at football, but what I find is so long as I'm playing on a team with someone who's worse than me, then I feel fine because I'm not the worst in the, you know, I'm not very good on a dance floor, but so long as I position myself next to someone who's horrifically bad at dancing, then I don't look too bad, you know? So it's a downward comparison. Um, I find this every time I go to the gym because you you have every weights machine you go and sit on. There's the kind of like the thing that sets the weight and I can find my emotional well-being goes up and down depending on I'm sitting there thinking, huh, I can lift so much more than you. I'm putting it down. Or whether I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, you are way stronger than me and putting it back up again. I feel like inadequate. And uh, the more children I have, the less I can lift is what I'm finding. But... um, 
that, that's something that we do all the time. And what happens is through that process, and it's conscious sometimes and subconscious other times, we're actually discovering our self-worth. We end up coming up with an estimate of our own worth. That's not the only thing that causes us to do that, but it's certainly a factor. Um, now, putting that into our culture, because human beings, I think, have probably been doing that as long as we've been around, but putting that into our particular context... It's also really helpful to understand that our culture particularly has gone comparison crazy. And um, lots of things play a, play a role in that. Social media is obviously one of those things. Uh, you know, it used to be the case that we compared ourselves to the Joneses. You know, so your grandma would have been like, oh, you know, she's got an extra bedroom in her house. But, but now what we do is we compare ourselves to the Kardashians who own you know, half of America. And, and of course, when the comparison becomes like that, then what it means is the comparison virtually all the time is this upward comparison. Um, it's been talked about a lot, but it's true that obviously on social media, what people do is they present the profile, they present the best version of themselves. And I'm not very good with technology, and I've had a foray into Instagram that didn't go very well. But Mike keeps telling me that I need to kind of get in on Instagram. He's on all of the social media. Like, he needs to tell me I, I need to get on Instagram because that's where people are, and, you know, you've got to communicate today and stuff like that. And so a little, some time ago, I thought maybe I should put some practice in because I know how it works. You've got to, on Instagram, if you want to get followers, you've got to present like an awesome life, and then you can become a social influencer. And so I decided I would take photos of my ordinary everyday life here in Watford, I would put the Instagram filter on them and I would see how they came out. So uh, a little while ago, I went swimming in Watford Community Pool. I took a photo and uh, put the Instagram filter on and this is what came out. Have a look at the screen. Uh, not long after that, I went to hang out with a friend of mine. I put a light filter on this photo. If you have a look, uh, you'll see. Um, there are some people I like to spend a lot of time with. They constantly need my advice. Here's another one of those people. Uh, Mike doesn't have many friends, so occasionally I take him with me and three of us hang out together. You can see I did with this, this guy here. Uh, you know, um, one of the things I love about working with Mike, actually, is that we live fairly close to each other. So just the other day, we were hanging out at his semi-detached house in Watford. This is it with a filter on. Uh, then we went back to my house and just kind of spent some time watching a film. His, uh, that's the Watford skyline, um, just filtered. Uh, we, we, we like to eat together. You know Mike likes to eat. I love to go to McDonald's. This is my McDonald's hamburger that I had the other day. Uh, here's the McFlurry that I had afterwards. Um, also, what you'll know is that Obviously, social media, sometimes people like to be real, you know, as a reaction to this. So we like to go hashtag no filter and just tell life how it is. And, and so I want you to know for the next few photos, the filter has been removed. I had a burger. This is what Mike had. A rather a modest, uh, modest meal for him. Then we bought him an ice cream just to kind of finish it off. And uh, anyway, sometimes I go around to my friends' houses. They have little gatherings here in Watford. This is my mate's house party just last night. And... Uh, you know, and even though I'm tired, I still like to try and hang out with my kids. I took Josiah to the park the other day. This is the two of us uh, on the trampoline. So, all right, we can take them off. Obviously, I am, I am exaggerating in order to make a point, but the point is, is uh, still the point, right? Which is, obviously, what we do is we put, this, we put this projection out there, this kind of perfection out there, and the consequence of that, we all know we do it, all right? But the consequence of that is we are looking at this stuff, many of us, a hundred times a day. And so a hundred times a day at least, our comparison is upwards. We compare our face to their filter. 
And when we do that, what happens is our face loses because anybody's face would lose. And so inevitably, that then begins to wear away at our souls and it kind of affects what's going on inside of us. And we might all laugh about it, about how we compare our body to their so-called perfect body and our career to their career that's kind of taken off like a rocket and our money to their money and our family and kids to their family and kids. But actually, it's, it's something we do not just online, but, but in life. And it can really begin to worm its way into our souls. So it starts to have quite a deep impact on us. You know, I'm probably not the only one that when I've, when I've gone through a season of life that's tough and that's hard, I start to look at other people who seem not to struggle. And, 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 just, and that eats me up. How come you get it so easy? How come it's all together for you? We might have been born into a particularly difficult set of circumstances and we can compare ourselves to people who haven't had to fight in the way that we've had to fight to cope with life. And again, that affects us. And so this is something that's very real and probably almost all of us, if not all of us, will struggle with it, maybe to varying degrees and at different points of life. But Jesus, because he cares about us, um, you know, I love that God, we're told, knows the number of every single hair on our head. And another way of, of, of saying that is that I saw one person, I'm not going to look at him, who was smiling because he thinks that's not a lot. Um, but... Uh, but, but the, the, the details, another way of saying that is every detail of our life matters to him. And so if this, if this is what we do and if it affects us, it matters to him. And so as we would expect, he speaks into it. Now, um, this was a couple of years ago when I was kind of really praying and, and journeying through this. And I came across a parable story that Jesus tells that speaks to this issue. So I'm just going to read it and then we're going to see what it says. So, uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, the words will come up on the screen, starting verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, for, for those who may be new to church, what Jesus loves to do is he loves to teach about the ways of God by telling stories. Now, because he was around 2,000 years ago, sometimes his stories that we don't instantly connect with what was going on, but the first hearers would have been like, oh yeah, it's just a normal thing. So what he's saying is there's basically a business owner and uh, in those days what would happen is if you had a vineyard or something like that, you would maybe go early in the morning to the local square, the market square, where people who wanted to be employed would hang around and you might pick several of those people and get them to come and work in your vineyard. So that's exactly what this guy is doing. He, he agrees to pay them a denarius, which is kind of like a day's wages, and uh, sends them off to work in the vineyard. Then, this is what happens a little later. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the ones, the ones last hired. So that's the guys he's just hired at kind of 5 p.m. And then going on to the first ones hired, the ones I hired at six o'clock this morning. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and each of them received a denarius. So that's like a full day's wage. They've been hired at 5 p.m. They each received a denarius. So when those uh, came who were hired first, the 6 a.m. guys, they expected to receive more. 
but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friends. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So um, I love Jesus' stories because part of what they're meant to do is they're meant to provoke us. They're meant to kind of, I think, sometimes rile us up a bit. And when we get this story, it really does do that. So kind of to put it in a modern day context, imagine you're working in a cafe and your shift starts at 6 a.m. And so your alarm goes off at 5 and you drag yourself out of bed and you make it down to the cafe. And, you know, you're tying on the apron or whatever it is. You start to clean. You've got to sort out. And you're meant to be on with somebody else called Emily who hasn't turned up yet. And you have just a really hard day of like taking orders and and dealing with difficult customers and cleaning grease off pans and sorting everything out. And you're sweating. And you make it all the way through to almost the end of the day. Then 5 p.m. arrives. You shut at 6. Emily just kind of like ambles in and she she's been sleeping most of the day and she kind of like starts to work you know she's like pushing a few teacups around and she's chatting to the chef and she's wiping like a one stain up and then it comes to the end of the day when you're going to get paid 6 p.m so the 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 guy who owns the cafe calls you in he pays you cash in hand because it's an illegal operation and uh he gets kind of like emily first and so he hands her a day's wages 70 quid right there you go emily so you think she's turned up at five o'clock She's worked one hour and he has paid her 70 pounds. And immediately the response is, good, this is good. Because I've been here 12 times longer than she's been here. So I'm going to get more. Now, maybe I won't get 12 times as much, but maybe he's going to give me double pay today for whatever reason. So you're quite excited when you see that Emily gets given 70 quid. And then he comes to you and he hands you 70 quid. Now, I don't know what's going through your head at that point, but what's going through my head is I dragged myself out of bed. 5 a.m. I have been scraping bacon off the floor. I have been cleaning pans. I have been pretending to laugh at people's jokes. Like I've been going through all of this. I have, I have worked my guts out. And then she just wanders in at almost closing time, just kind of sort of does a little bit of stuff. And then you pay us the same amount of money? What are you doing? Now, maybe one or two of us would respond, you know what, I'm so happy for Emily. That's wonderful that she's got given 70 pounds for doing basically nothing. If you're, like, if you're like that, you're a lot like Jesus. But I'm not like that. So I'm like, oh my word, I can't believe you've given Emily this. And then what would probably happen to me is anger. You know, a little bit of rage would come up from, from that. And I tell you, here's the underlying thing that I would be feeling pretty deep down inside. It's not fair right? Because it's not. She's getting that money. It's not fair. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling us this story and what he wants us to do is get riled up with that emotion. It's not fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. Because that's the emotion that we're feeling probably one step below when we compare ourselves to other people. So we look at their life. How can they get to be healthy all the time? 
How come their kids seem to kind of have not, don't have the issues my kids have got? How come his career just seems to go on a trajectory like this? And then, and then beneath that, there's this thing so often that we're feeling, which is just like, it's just not fair. I've worked as hard. I've made the sacrifices. I've, how's it, how come it's all working out for you and it's not working out for me? It's not fair. Feeling that? You feeling that emotion? Then what Jesus does, once he's got us in that palm of his hand right there, is he then, um, he comes in with these three questions, these three killer questions. They're not comfortable ones. And uh, that's when the vineyard owner, who represents God in the story, is talking to the vineyard worker who represents me and you, the ones that think it's really not fair. Let me reread the questions to you. But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? That's the first question. So what I've been doing since I discovered these questions at the end of the story is I've written them down. And when I find myself, when I catch myself comparing with other people, I've been asking myself or allowing maybe God uh, to ask me these three questions again. So here's the first question that we want to ask ourselves when we start comparing our life to other people's lives and feeling that rage and that anger that comes from what seems to be something that's so unfair. Question number one that God would put to us. Didn't we have a deal? Didn't we have a deal? The way the vineyard guy says it is, didn't we shake hands at 6am this morning and agree to work for a denarius? Wasn't that the wage that we set? I'm not being unfair to you. We shook on it. Didn't we have a deal? And it's a genius question uh, for God to ask us. Because what happens, and what's happened with the, the, the vineyard workers here, is they've stopped looking at their personal kind of like agreement with the vineyard owner and they've started to look at what he's doing for everybody else. What happens with comparison, part of the the journey of comparison is we take our eyes off of God and we put them on to other people and that becomes the focus for us. Now we're not unique in that. Um, People have been doing that for as long as people have been around. One of my favourite examples of this happening or one of the best examples as far as I can tell is uh, the story of King Saul in the Old Testament. So if you don't know Saul's story, he becomes the first king of Israel. And he's got life going well for him. Like we're told he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. I don't know about you, I always wanted to be tall. Never quite made it. But I always thought that would be good. So he's tall. We're told in addition to that he's good looking. We're told in addition to that he becomes king and he wins battles. So if Saul has Instagram, he has a million followers. This is going good. But then he makes some mistakes. And then what happens is God raises up somebody else, a young man called David, who starts to do quite well. And uh, there's this occasion where David and Saul, they go out to fight the Philistines, the enemies of the, uh, God's people at that point. They go out to fight them and they win this victory. And then they come back. And as they come back, the, um, uh, the, the, the ladies of the town come out and they start to sing this song. And I'll read it to you. It says, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David tens of thousands. And Saul gets angry when he hears uh, what they're singing. I can understand why. You know, in this this particular instance, it's not just that Saul is comparing himself to David. It's that he's being compared to David by other people and he's coming up short. Have you ever had that where your mum's like, you know what, I wish you were more like your brother or, or whatever. It's so annoying, isn't it? Or, or where a teacher does that or where a boss does that. Why can't you be more like this? You know, like, and they compare you and you find yourself falling short. 
And what's even worse for Saul, I heard one preacher point this out, is that they've actually made it into a full-on West End production. You know, they've got a dance and like a full-on song to be like, you are not quite as good as David. And so Saul, Saul feels angry about that, and we can understand why. But look, notice his reaction. Notice what it says next, because the very next thing it says about Saul is, from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Eyes fixed on David and um, maybe this is just me but I find that the people that I compare myself to and then end up feeling inadequate you know that, that what I often do whereas I should probably pay a lot less attention to what they're doing I often end up paying more attention and I'll spend more time just kind of ruminating on and kind of going over in my heart and in my head and my soul why life is so good for them and turning it over and over and over again. And this is where God's question is not meant to condemn us. It's meant to call us back to him and to look at him. Hey, 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 look at me. Look me in the eyes. Didn't we have a deal, you and I? Let's come back to that before we talk about these other people. Let's come back to that, the deal that we made. And um, the deal that he makes with us, we're told in the scriptures, what was the deal, Andy? Uh... Oh yeah, it was, I give you my little broken life and you give me all of your life. That was the deal, wasn't it? Yeah. And, uh, and that's broken down for us in a whole load of different ways in the Bible. So one of the phrases that it says in Ephesians is that in Christ, when we're in Jesus, which means we're in relationship with him, we receive, because of that relationship, nothing else, every spiritual blessing. Every one. So imagine you come in here into the warehouse this morning and the place is just rammed with presents. Floor to ceiling, everyone gift wrapped beautifully, everyone with a little bow tied around it, shiny wrapping paper, and they've all got these labels on and every single label says your name. Now imagine that and you start walking around thinking, oh my word, this is incredible. You pick up the first present, you open it, and it's something that you recognize as, as having more value, monetary value, than Bill Gates's entire fortune. And that's just present number one. Like, what would we do? Oh my word, I am loaded. I'm rich. Woo! Instagram, boom. But we, we, we'd celebrate, right? And, 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 and what we're told in Scripture is that we receive from God every spiritual blessing. So we come into Jesus, which is like, he's like the warehouse in this picture. And then there's a like floor to ceiling presence. And we go up to them and we open them up. And do you know what the first one says? It says, it says peace beyond understanding. This is worth more than money. Then we open the second one. We're told that we're forgiven for everything. Everything we ever thought, said and done, wiped clean, I'll, I'll take that present. We come to a third one, eternal life. Might want to hang on to that one. You know, we take that too. We get every present in him. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And sometimes there are, there are times, particularly in seasons of suffering, where, you know, we can question God and find to question him. He's big enough. He's good enough for those questions. Where are you in this season? I, you know, you say you're faithful. It doesn't look like that to me. You say you're, you're, you're near. It feels like you're distant. It's okay to question. But that's where more than ever to come back to looking again at who he is. And every time I've questioned him, I, he hasn't always done what I want him to do, but he has shown me again his goodness and his faithfulness. Andy, there's not a single promise I've ever made to anyone that I've broken so you think I'm going to start with you now didn't we have a deal you give me you and I'll give you me okay so let's not worry about what's going on with that guy question number two 
Can't I bless who I want? Or do I need your approval first? Can't I bless who I want? The way the the vineyard guy uh, puts it is he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? So uh, when God asks this question, can't I bless who I want, Andy, or do I need your approval first? My, My honest response is, well, it would be nice if you at least checked with me. You know, I don't need to have the final say. You're God, that's I understand. But like, if, you, if you at least involved me in the kind of the, the journey, the thought process, I wonder if maybe I could give you some advice. Because I just have to say, from my perspective, some of these people that you seem to be blessing do not deserve the blessing. Like, you obviously don't have the information, maybe because you're up in heaven. I've got some dirt on these people that you might not have come across. And I feel like if we were to kind of, you know, at least talk it through, then maybe you might come to some wiser decisions about who deserves a blessing and who doesn't deserve a blessing that's what I want to say to him how can you bless that person don't you know what they're like haven't you seen what they do and uh, and do you know why that's my response and why I use the word deserve there because I don't understand the nature of blessing because in the story it's a wage but this is just one story and what we see in the biggest story is that it is all gift it's all grace That's how I got in in the first place. That's how you got in in the first place. It's all a gift. Can't I bless who I want, Andy? Isn't that how you got in? Jesus compares um, God's God's mercy in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, to the weather. You know, he says, says, like, the weather doesn't discriminate. And it doesn't. You know, the sun shines on Arsenal fans and the sun shines on Man City fans. It doesn't seem to mind. Like the, the rain falls on the good and the evil is what Jesus says. And it's like the, just in the same way, God's love is poured out. So it's all blessing. It's all gift. And we might think, well, I've been working since 6 a.m. That's what I would have said if I was in that vineyard. And then, you know what? The vineyard could have, the owner could have rightly pointed out, yeah, but didn't, didn't I come and find you in the first place? You know, I was the one that offered you the job. I was the one that came out to you. You were there in your lostness and I came and found you. And then, I, yeah, I gave you some stuff to do. But that was my mercy. That was my grace. And you received it just like this other person. So can't I bless who I want? Isn't that how you got in? And uh, Jesus, if I imagine him as a football player with this story, he's kind of like with the first question, kind of kicking it with his right foot. With the second question, he kicks it with his left foot. He's setting himself up. And then the third question, he just smashes it into the back of the net. So it's, didn't we have a deal? Can't I bless who I want? And here's the third one. Are you jealous? Not me, Lord. No, no, no. That's not what's going on here. You've misunderstood. Are you jealous? The way the guy puts it is, uh, are you envious because I'm generous? And... um, (laughs) Of course, we all feel that, all right? Or I'm hoping everybody else does, because I do. And the, the, uh, what God, I think, is, is wanting to help us get is, again, it's not to condemn us. I think he asks these questions to help us. I think he's trying to help us realize what's going on in our own hearts, because so often we've, elu- we've deluded ourselves to thinking it's something else. It's like, whoa, 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 let's just talk about what's really happening here, which is you are jealous of what's happening in this other person's life. And now we've acknowledged that, Let's, let's go on a journey. He does it out of kindness to help us. Why are you jealous? What is it that you're jealous about? And um, I think he, if there's a scripture that speaks to this for me, and being in that, per, that particular place for me, it's Isaiah chapter 40, 
verse 25. I just want to read you these words. This is God speaking. And, uh, you know, when we think about comparison, it's really great to come back to these words. Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob or Andy? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. He sees everybody but me. He doesn't see my path. He doesn't see my, you know, he doesn't see all the stuff that's going on in my life. Why do you say that? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Comparison doesn't just steal our joy. It steals our strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I think when we start looking at what everyone else has got going on, and it's an understandable thing to do that each of us do multiple times a day. It's so good for our souls to be reminded of what we have. And there is no greater thing that we can say we have than him. Jesus compares himself to a pearl of great price, that the person who finds the treasure in the field would sell everything else they have, everything else they own, everything they've ever possessed in order to possess him. Paul, one of the people that converted to Christianity, having been murdering Christians, says of his life in Philippians chapter 3, my life was awesome. I was smashing it at life. He's got no, he has no issue saying that. You know, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisee. I never made a mistake with the law like I was absolutely nailing it. And then what he says is, and then I came to know Jesus. And in comparison to him, everything else was as loss. Everything else was as the word, really, the strength of it is it was as excrement in comparison to what I found in the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you're like me, but I forget that sometimes. And what God is saying to us is, hey, Andy, are you jealous? You muppet. You've got me. You've got me, you dummy. Look at me. Come, you've obviously, you know, look at me. Do you see who I am? And then I come back to him and I'm like, oh yeah, you're a father who made me, who made each of us in the womb, who knows every day of our lives, every hair on our heads. You're a saviour. You're not just powerful, but you are that. You're compassionate and kind. You're faithful. You're a friend. You're the spirit. I love that you're the spirit, that you live in me. You know how many people wake up day after day wondering if there's a God, and we get to wake up and be like, he's in me. Whoa. You know, me and God are going to go to Asda. Like, it's, there's nowhere I can go where you're not. People get to wonder if you're distant. I get to sit and have Weetabix with you in the morning and just chat about my day and tell you what's going on. I get, I get you. And don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that these, these things that stir up bitterness and resentment in us are unimportant. And that we need to just say, but it doesn't matter because we've got Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. 
You know, they're important. And God cares about those things too. And we want to pray those things change. And we want to act in a way that will change those things if it's within our control. So I'm not saying they're unimportant. Because I know if I was sitting here, I'd hear this and I'd be like, okay, so I've got Jesus, great. But I know I'm just going to go later on and I'm probably going to compare myself to someone and I'm going to think, I wish I had a relationship with that, you know, like that. Or I wish I had a house like that. And, I, and now, I'll, not only will I be comparing, but I'll now feel guilty, even guiltier that I'm doing it. So I understand this doesn't just solve all of our issues, but it's a start and it's a beginning. And it's incredibly helpful to come to him and hear him say to our spirits again, hey, didn't we have a deal? I've been so faithful to that and I'm never going to let you down. Can't I bless who I want? Isn't that how you got blessed? Are you jealous? You muppet. You got me. Look at me. And then try and feel jealous if you can. But I think you'll find it hard. All right. Um, I'm going to stop there. And what we want to do now is we want to make some space uh, to pray. And again, just to say for, for those who are new, what we will frequently do as part of our services is we will um, invite the Holy Spirit uh, to come and meet with us. We, we believe God is alive. And we believe he says in the Bible that he wants to meet with his people he doesn't come to entertain us. Um, he comes to meet us in our need and to equip us and to empower us, uh, to draw us into relationship with him and with one another, to fill us with everything we, we need to go out and to share him boldly with the world around us and to love them and to serve them and to lay down our lives for them. That's not stuff we can do without him. And it's not stuff we can do just by hearing about him. That's stuff that we do with him.